Welcome to the sixth episode of Redemption, a podcast series to save deposit return systems. Today, we move into the area of standards, the practices that serve as a frame to run a modern deposit return system effectively. We're going to look at the fifth of the 10 essential practices laid out in a guide to modern deposit return systems, 10 essential practices, which you can find at bottlebillreimagined.org. This fifth essential practice is design, marking, and registration for containers. Why is this important? Let's go to the guide to see how this practice is articulated. Standardized and uniform design, marking, and registration for containers leads to optimized recovery, enhanced recyclability, and accurate accounting. Universal marking of every container with a barcode allows tracking by brand, beverage type, and deposit amount. This minimizes fraudulent redemption, reduces system costs, and facilitates transparency in the DRS. Every brand owner in a given deposit state registers their barcodes with the appropriate party or parties so all retailers and reverse vending machine operators can get the codes to program their redemption machines. To learn more about how design decisions, marking, especially with barcodes, and registering containers all make a difference, I spoke to four experts in the field. I'm so happy to speak today with Lynn Hoffman, who is with Eureka Recycling, a nonprofit, zero-waste organization, and social enterprise recycler based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And also, Lynn, you have the role of serving as the National Coordinator for AMBER, the Alliance of Mission-Based Recyclers. So welcome to our podcast. I'm really hoping you can inform our listeners why setting design standards for beverage containers is so important for effective DRS. I mean, I, I can say for effective recycling at all, you know, I think design standards are, are critical and it's been a real gap, I think, in the U.S. market. There's not a lot of motivation or incentive to design for end of use. We design for product safety. We design for marketing. And then what happens next to date hasn't really been their problem. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we see a lot of packaging design folks now starting to ask for tours of our MRF. I see, I see really positive shifts happening in the landscape in that regard. And it's complicated, but I think the challenge is that packaging innovation, if it happens within a category that's currently recyclable, so like you make a water bottle that looks like a PET bottle, but is made from something other than PET, it's going to not only not be recycled, but it's going to cause problems for the bottles that are recyclable. It's impossible to sort out, you know, so really thinking about packaging category, really thinking about sortability, really thinking about like a mono material as much as possible. The more you um, have a different material for the cap and a different material for the label and or multi-layer packaging, the harder it is to recycle any of it. And so all of all of those considerations when you're designing packaging, you know, I think first of all, anyone designing packaging should be forced to tour a Murph at some point. The way it's so obvious, it's like it's really eye-opening. Yeah. Why would you yeah. develop something without knowing how the system that's collecting it is working, right? And yet, right. if you're right, like I don't know, maybe that's the law we need to have. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it um, seems like if anything, a DRS can maybe go further than we've been able to do elsewise, right? Because if you're having a separate collection scheme, you can actually drill down and sort of have you know more yeah. granular requirements that have been possible 
the mainstream sort of curbside system. From a recycling center's perspective, what are the most important elements to consider in the design of beverage containers? Yeah, I think, again, even with a really robust DRS system, I think we know that MRFs will still get these containers. And so really, you know, we basically sort by size, weight and shape and by packaging type. And so, you know, there's no no yet piece of artificial intelligence or high-tech equipment that can really, I think, solve for the wide variety of materials that are used. So the more that we can standardize upstream, the higher quality material that will come out of a MRF. I think that's the big shift we try to get folks to get their heads around is that MRFs are manufacturing commodities. We manufacture 12 to 15 different high quality, consistent commodities to feed back into the supply chain. So shifting that mindset from like MRFs are a waste management facility, right? Where we just take the pile and we do the best we can with it. (laughs) It is kind of a bananas model. If you think about it, we're trying to create the same product every day with a wildly varying supply of material coming in the door, right? So anything we can do to standardize our supply and make it consistent and make it easy to sort to make its way into the right commodity bale, the better we're all going to be, the more efficient, the more cost effective and the more um, environmentally beneficial it's going to be. Yeah. Well, it's like I've heard people say the work of a MRF is basically to kind of unscramble, scramble eggs, right? Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Yep. So it's the exactly. same idea, but you're right. It's not about managing that material. It's about getting it to its sort of highest and best use, which is exactly what a DRS is meant to do, is utilize it in the best way possible. You mm-hmm. see firsthand how the the information on the packaging, as well as obviously yeah. cities' outreach and education and access, those all those ingredients contribute to the quality of the material that you receive and the you know limiting the contamination. And so for a DRS, you know, to get the best outcomes, you want people to be very clear about which material goes into the system. And then, of course, we want them to be able to know where to take it so they can get their deposit back. That's kind of another set of standards. But the role of the markings, how does that play into an effective and modern deposit return system? Sure. I mean, I think it's critical. In general, our position is, you know, truth and labeling is an absolute keystone to any of this being successful. I mean, we see I know in theory, there's some regulation around some of this, but, you know, federally, but I think we see that the recycling rules are basically clip art that anyone can put on anything (laughs) they want. We've heard from residents, what was it? There was a survey where majority of people said recycling feels more complicated than doing their taxes. It's not clear. It's not, the arrows actually don't mean you can put it in your bin. We need a little bit more specific language and direction. And again, the more we standardize up front and and, um, the easier it's going to be to figure out what to do with it once you've got it in your hand. It also seems like a a heck of a lot of like responsibility and obligation to put on the consumer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it really, it, it should be second nature. It should be really simple and clear. You should be able to trust if there's recycling arrows on it that you can put it in your recycling. If there's an opportunity for a refund to put it into the DRS system, that should be really clear and obvious um, so people know what their options are. I spoke to Henrietta Schneider, the CEO of a consultancy that supports stakeholder groups in setting up, optimizing, and scaling efficient systems for packaging. 
whether you're talking about single use packaging or reusable packaging, why is setting design standards for beverage containers so important to make a DRS effective? How has it made the system in Germany work better? In Germany, I would say there are two design elements that really make the system more effective. One is that you have one recognizable logo that indicates this packaging is part of the DRS. And so in Germany, we have this logo and everybody knows, okay, this can or this plastic bottle can be returned to the supermarket, right? And that is very important because it makes it easier and it makes it more likely that containers are returned. So this is a very important design element. The second important element is the barcode on the packaging. It helps the machines recognize the packaging. Of course, the packaging is registered and then the, the machines can recognize which packaging this is and if it's even in the DRS. And the second thing is that there is a special security ink that is used for this barcode. And this ink really dramatically reduces the risk of fraud in the system. My understanding in Germany is you have like a public registry where basically every beverage container gets registered before it's placed on the market. So you have a more transparent system to understand, as you said, to mitigate fraud and to make sure that producers can't free ride off the system. Is there anything you can share with us about what you know, at least on, on kind of how the registration process works? So in Germany, you have a central registry for all packaging, but it's packaging that is subject to the green dot systems. And for our listeners, the green dot is basically the EPR system for packaging. Mm -hmm. So everything that's not part of the green dot system doesn't need to be registered in that registry. And that is, for example, packaging that's part of the DRS, like most beverage packaging and also reusable packaging. So beverage packaging that is part of the DRS, single-use beverage packaging, is registered with the DPG, which is the central DRS system operator, although this operator really works a bit differently from, from the ones in other countries because it doesn't have so many responsibilities in the system. Australia has an interesting approach to registering containers and making sure markings such as logos and barcodes help make the DRS efficient. I spoke to Robert Kelman, Reloop's director for the Asia-Pacific region. In your experience, why is setting design standards for beverage containers, as well as the marking requirements and registration requirements, so important? And how have these, any examples of these requirements made the Australian system work better? Yeah, I think uh, container refund or container deposit schemes offer a really unique opportunity to actually build recycling outcomes because the government, for the first time, really has some sort of um, responsibility, if you like, over, over the market. So it can actually set standards for recyclability for eligible containers. Now, if you don't want to be an eligible container, you can just, you know, not enter the market whatsoever. So, you know, the government... Um, has the opportunity to then build in design standards for recyclability. And of course, you know, the possibility, the really um, enhanced possibility of building in design standards for things like reuse into container refund schemes as well. So you can get rid of things like PVC wrappings on, on PET bottles or something like that in order to be eligible to be registered as part of the scheme. 
And then, of course, if you're not a registered part of the scheme, you haven't met the design criteria, then you simply can't sell into the market. So it's a, really, it's a form of EPR, extended producer responsibility, that has the opportunity to drive design recyclability outcomes, you know, up into the manufacturer's sector. Are there any others that come to mind readily that are other design considerations either being promulgated into law or demanded by the public? Yeah. I mean, as I say, I think there's a live conversation around a whole lot of materials. In Australia, we've also got a big live conversation going on now about packaging more broadly, which is exciting, which is for the first time ministers are talking about actually mandating and regulating the packaging sector, which has all been a sort of voluntary initiative so far. There's a consultation paper coming out in the new year around an, a full EPR scheme, not just on beverage, beverage containers now has uh, across Australia, we only have my state of Tasmania, which hasn't yet implemented a, a beverage container recovery scheme, a CRS or whatever you want to call it. That should start in 2024. So the whole continent now will be covered by beverage container re recovery schemes. And then the next step is that broader EPR agenda onto other food and drink and consumer wear uh, packaging. So the next big conversation, I think, in Australia will be about design standards for all of that kind of material, which I think is really exciting because Australia really, and we will be pushing very hard for Australia to mirror those kind of very high European sort of outcomes. I'm really keen to kind of understand the role that labeling requirements play in effective and modern deposit return systems. So the labelling requirements are that you need to have a label, you need to have a barcode on containers. As I say, each state and territory scheme is slightly different. The governance model is slightly different, but we have a uniform refund value and there's a fairly uniform labelling that says 10 cent refund available in participating states. Now, as I say, every state now is participating, Bartazzi and um so the other, the other, I think the other important feature around this is the sort of community consumer education piece, which is again really great across Northern Europe, but lacking here, which is the the advertising or the labelling or whatever you want to call it in supermarkets. So it's very clear when you go into a European Northern European supermarket that you are paying an additional amount that will get refunded to you. And that's an important consumer education piece. But unfortunately, that isn't the case here. We don't have mandated return to retail. We do have some voluntary retail participation in terms of collection. You have that possibility of really sending a strong message whenever a consumer buys a container in a supermarket that it's a deposit. Any price increase is a deposit as opposed to a net cost for that particular consumer. We're already seeing in Victoria some levels of confusion around that for consumers because the labelling, new schemes, reforming schemes, having that marketing piece and on shelf space is, I think, you know, very important. So all containers coming back through deposit return schemes in Australia have to be recycled. To delve deeper into why container registration is so important, I spoke to Mike Noel, Public Affairs Manager for Tomra North America. Tell us, if you will, kind of in addition to collection target and return to retail requirements, sort of 
the role of container registration and or universal registration and how that feeds into capable and effective oversight functions. I'm glad you asked because this is, uh, we have to bring this up a lot because people don't understand how important this is to just their everyday operations of a, of a modern or effective DRS. Um, so product registration refers to the practice of a producer uh, registering their, their beverage product and container with a system operator or anyone who takes back containers. And typically that's the RVM uh, provider uh, most particularly, or most importantly, and the reason why that's important is if a consumer um, goes into you know, a state or a jurisdiction, buys a container, pays the deposit, unless the producer has shared their barcode information with the RVM operator, then that contain- the consumer will not be able to get back their money through the RVM. So in other words, deposit systems all utilize RVMs to, to some extent. So uh, product registration is just a, a critical step in the, in the really the implementation process of, of a DRS. And typically, uh, you know, one model we like to follow is what just passed in Connecticut, where all deposit initiators are required to register their containers with RVM system operators and, and other system operators in the state 30 days prior to sale. Uh, and so that ensures by the time a consumer can, is charged a deposit, they can immediately redeem it if they wish. Another model is is what's done, well, used to be done in Maine, where the state agency DEP, the Department of Environmental Protection, was tasked with essentially managing product registration for the same purpose. Um, and they published the information on a public website. However, I guess the, the trade-off there is that it did require uh, one or two full-time equivalent staff at the at the state level to, to manage that process. And uh, and the state did have authority to essentially pull a product off the shelf if it was not registered, which was effective in making sure most, if not all, products were were registered. The Connecticut approach is a bit more of a private sector approach where it has uh, essentially RVM providers doing the legwork to make sure uh, all products are registered in the system. Thanks to all our listeners who are so committed to learning about modern deposit return systems and the environmental and economic benefits they bring to our communities. In this sixth episode of Redemption, we heard from four guests, Lynn Hoffman, Vice President of Eureka Recycling and National Coordinator for AMBER, the Alliance of Mission-Based Recyclers, who explained that how a container is designed makes a huge difference in how it's recycled at a materials recovery facility and beyond. Henrietta Schneider, sustainability expert in Germany, who talked about how two design elements, a logo and barcode, help ensure containers are returned and counted. Robert Kelman, director of Reloop Asia Pacific, who gave examples of how design has helped increase recovery in Australia. And Mike Noel, public affairs director for Tomer North America, who explained how universal registration ensures ease of return for consumers, efficiency for RVM operators, and tracking ability for the producer and system operator. We hope you'll join us next week for the seventh episode of Redemption, when we explore the next essential practice for a modern DRS, practice number six, collection standards. This looks at issues of convenience, equity, and a good user experience, three essential factors to consider when planning and implementing a modern DRS that works for all. In the meantime, don't forget to visit bottlebillreimagined.org to download the guide or subscribe to our newsletter, Bottle Bill Common Ground. You can also leave a review on Redemption wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And remember, working together from a common ground of knowledge about these 10 essential practices for a modern deposit return system, we can move good bottle bills forward. Thank you.